Let's hear that intro. Howdy, howdy, folks. Welcome back to Hoot and a Half. I'm Matt King. And I'm Mike Sheffer. And this is episode five. Yes, episode five. And we're sorry we didn't have an episode last week due to some scheduling conflicts and some events that went down with Jeff Wittick and David on a trip we had. I don't want to give any spoilers. That's their story to tell, and you will hear all about it in the future. But we managed to get an episode done for this week, and it's with our good friend, Casey Neistat. You may know him as a YouTube personality, filmmaker, vlogger. He's an incredible human being, so profound, and I'm so happy that we had this really great conversation hope you guys enjoy it mike do you have anything to add uh yeah this was just i think one of our best episodes yet it really felt like we're, we're coming into our own in this little podcasting game we're doing and uh just big big thanks to casey for letting us come to his house actually which is where we recorded this <laughs> yeah. um our little mobile podcast setup so um we had a even within our special guest of casey we had another surprise guest show up which you'll hear um <laughs> you probably the cutest guest we've had on the show so far but yeah enjoy, enjoy the episode enjoy guys I was just like to hang out with you guys. So I was like, yeah, I'd totally love to do <laughs> Have you been on I just David's... want to hang out with you. <laughs> Have you been on David's podcast? Only when I was at his house and they're like, we're recording the podcast. Casey, don't move. Hold this microphone. And talk into it. <laughs> like, that's, what, that's how it came to be. Uh, we're, we're rolling right now. Great. All right. Go. Casey Neistat in the house. Or we're, we're, in, like, we're, in, we're in Casey Neistat's house. Thank you for having us, Casey. I really appreciate you guys keeping me from having to drive to your place. This that's the generous. thing about people who live on the west side in L.A. Once you you live on the west side you never visit really your friends yeah when you're close to the, the beach i guess side. you don't want to go especially over the hill into like the valley that's you know what it is it's like i talk like an expert but i've been in la less than you have i think yeah for less time than you have like but yeah when you're here you feel like you're in a special little town and there's a beach at the end of the road everything's flat you ride your bike and the idea of getting in a car and then driving 25 minutes to see someone or do something is just the most disparaging I, you know like i'm it's from new hassle. york where it's a skateboard ride but yeah no i never leave have you been getting the most out of like your venice experience compared to new york are you still like boosting around on your board or I, like that's the thing is like so there's a permanent since we moved in like a permanent contention contentiousness tension one of those words between candace and i because she fucking hates venice she hates it and she's not wrong to hate it but I love it here. So when it comes to like taking advantage, like yes, I go to the beach every day, seven days a week on my bike. So you ride your bike right. with a surfboard to the beach, which is like the Venice dream. Uh -huh. And like I go to the restaurants, all my friends live here. It's like, I'm like a 12 year old kid from like a 1980s movie where I like ride my bike <laughs> around and just like show up at my friend's house and be like high five and then go to the beach and surf and skateboard and stuff. I love it. But what does she hate but, about it? Well, I don't think either of us really respected just how dangerous it is here. Like when you come from, first of all, if to the listeners at home, if you hear airplanes throughout this podcast, it's because we're at my house in Venice and we live directly under an airport. That's on the list of things that Candace oh, doesn't love. So this is constant noise over the it, house. It never stops. But I, I don't mind that. But the crime thing is like, so we're from New York City, which means like, like fucking what crime? Come on. Like I know crime from New York. And like, we thought we were tough and then you move to venice and you're like like get me out of here this is too scary i can't handle this venice is tougher than manhattan yeah then like and i'm sure your audience might call me out for being a wimp but like i've never experienced crime and criminality like what i see here on a daily basis do you think that's due to like the current pandemic and economic situation or was it like that before no so it's it was it was always like rough around the edges. This is my understanding of Venice. Always rough around the edges. 90s, 80s was like peak gang, like crack. All that happened here, like major gang violence. Mm -hmm. But it's really been cleaned up in the last 20 years. And Snapchat like accelerated that to a crazy degree because they were headquartered here. So real estate values went up. Like it was super gentrified um, and it got really clean. And then we moved in. And like, it was, it wasn't bad when we first moved in. Like we knew what we were getting ourselves into, but then when Corona happened, like not to sound political, but like, you know, they don't want to put people in jail mm -hmm. because they don't want to put someone in a confined area if they have Corona. Yeah. So the way they're, the way the geniuses in charge are dealing with that are just not arresting people. So it's like, for the most part, it doesn't matter what your crime is. They're not going to arrest you. Um, and if they do arrest you, they bring you down and then there's no bail because of Corona. So they just let you go. 
So like I've I saw like a family get beat up on Main Street in Santa Monica, and like that guy was back on the streets like the next day, according to like the crime blog that I follow. <laughs> like there's a homeless shelter down the street. When I say down the street, I mean like we could probably throw a baseball and hit it from here. And um, like a homeless guy was uh, clearly on under the influence of something very scary and was beating the shit out of one of the security guards there, oh like trying to, trying to kill him. And the police showed up, and I saw a video. The police showed up and like gagged the guy. They did the right thing. Cops like busting their ass here to keep people safe. Like handcuffed the guy, and as they're trying to stuff the guy in a cop car, he's screaming through his gag, "I'll be out tonight. I'm coming back. I'll be out tonight." And the scary thing is, he probably was out that night. Oh my! You're living in a different yeah. Los Angeles than <laughs> we are, man. Oh my here. god! Have you heard about like the LAPD like police scanner on like Twitter? Yeah, so I follow can... all those. Like, yeah, that's don't where... tell Candace about that. <laughs> like, yeah, if anybody at home wants to fact check me, please know that my only source of this information is, what's that app? Citizen app? Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and Twitter police scanner. So I could be wrong about some of the details here, but I'm definitely not wrong about the gunfire because we, we see and hear that all the time, like constantly. Like Candace and I have a game every night. Is it fireworks or is it gunfire? Oh, my God. Usually, like it, four it out of fireworks. F- Everyone keeps lighting off fireworks lately. That has like. been a thing that's been happening, especially in New For York sure. and like in I, Los Angeles. There's a lot of theories. I don't know if you guys have heard the. Theories. I've seen the tin hat theories. Yeah. Really what is the theory? Okay, <laughs> this is some like Alex Jones conspiratorial shit here. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> basically, like I don't know what the conspiracy is in LA or if it's the same, but I know what it is in New York, which is that like fireworks are legal there. They're strictly enforced. I knew that when I lived there. Like, you set off a firecracker, you're in trouble. And they're really hard to actually get there because you can't buy them there. You can't buy them nearby. So you got to, like, travel out of state. Yet everyone is launching, like, the gnarliest. You know what a mortar firework is? Uh, It's the one that you drop in the tube and it goes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, People, like, launching mortars relentlessly in the city. So the theory, I'm not subscribing to this or promoting this theory, but the theory is that, like, Maybe all of this like anti-police sentiment, which is super, super fresh. It's still happening. The protests are still happening against the police in New York City. Maybe the police have something to do with who's setting off the fireworks. That's why this is like a tinfoil hat theory. Uh-huh. Because like the, the theory, which there's no evidence of, asterisk, like this is not fact. This is just people suggesting that like maybe somehow like the people who are in charge of law enforcement are actually like promoting this just to demonstrate just how much the city needs them. That's the theory, right, Mike? Like, That's did I say part it right? one of the theory. Oh, yes. There's more? Yeah. So and this is even deeper down the rabbit hole. But <laughs> okay, in, in, in describing not knowing the difference between fireworks and gunfire, there is a theory that the police are allowing the sound of warfare to permeate our cities so that the people who live in these cities get used to hearing the sounds of gunfire slash fireworks on a nightly basis, become desensitized to it. And when the police force uses actual force at night, we won't be as sensitized to it and we'll be more likely to let it slide. I mean, this is way Mike, not yeah, come on, Mike, Mike, who told all. you that? This I saw, this I saw, on t- it was one of those Twitter threads that like, you know, a bunch of... Me too. I got to the end of mine and I was like, Twitter, where's my fact check here? Yeah, I mean, Tell me whether or not to believe this bullshit. You can't, you can't know. Like, I think there's just some really good deal going that's on what I on think. fireworks yeah, that's what I and think. I haven't heard about it. The other theory, the, the more banal theory is that a lot of the firework salespeople are uh, anticipating a low 4th of July purchase so they're, they're season. So they're selling them at a discount to anybody and everybody who will buy them. So for our listeners at home, <laughs> sorry to interrupt the podcast, we're sitting here chit-chatting and my five-year-old just showed up the door. We're about to have a special guest. Please hold. <laughs> we're recording a podcast. Hi, you want to say hi? Okay, you know, Franny does podcasts all the time. Hi, Franny. Thank you for joining us. Francine, what do you think of life in Venice Beach, California? Uh, I don't know. Do you like living here? No. <laughs> Where would you like to live if not Venice Beach? I would like to live in New York again. You want to go back to New York? Mm-hmm. What did you like about New York? Mm. You know, Mike's from New York. I like that we had a park closer, closer than than Oakwood. That's true. We were closer to the park than we are close to the Oakwood Park here. Mm-hmm. Um, Is there something important? A party? Well, it's kind of a party. Yeah, it's a party. No, we're just making <laughs> a podcast. No. Can you leave us alone now? Nope. 
You want to stay? All right, you can hang out. We're just going to talk like adults, okay? You don't mind, do you? All right, Mike, I'm not going to be able to swear as much. That's okay. It rubs off. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not buying those. The theories? I mean... It's an it's a crazy theory. It's, it's a crazy it's really theory. Deep, like that's like your deep state, like crazy. But I will say, so where we lived in New York City was what was the name of our neighborhood? Come on, New York City, New York City Battery Park. That's right. So we lived in a, <laughs> <laughs> we lived in a neighborhood in New York City called Battery Park, which is like super safe, families and stuff like that. So we were particularly like taken aback by what we see here. There was a. I'm going to use bigger words here, so maybe she won't pick up on it, but there was a double homicide at our Whole Foods. <laughs> Daddy, Daddy, you guys are laughing at double... We are not in Battery Park, Brandon. Are you doing the news, Francine? Uh, yes. Let's hear the news. Yeah, let's hear the news. What's the news for today? I'm today on Baby Pictures. We would like to present a wonderful child called Georgina Neistat. I want you to know I'm texting mom right now to come get you. (laughs) (laughs) Mommy is literally downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) Bridget, how This Julia Neistat is shady downstairs, poopy. Why don't you go see what she's doing? Um, Poopy. (laughs) (laughs) Casey, I think you can head down We got our guest for the week We're going to continue Yeah, this is great I don't know if you've ever heard A five-year-old's voice And headphones in your ear But it's like the nicest thing To listen to You have a beautiful voice, young lady Okay, fine Uh-oh Uh-oh, you are busted You are busted You are busted We'd like to thank our very special guest, Francine Neistat. That was so nice. Such a great cameo. I wonder if the cameras are picking up her screaming bloody murder as she's (laughs) carried away from the podcast. Do you see a lot of yourself in your daughter? Yeah, so there's two. There's the the baby and Franny. So the baby looks more like me, but she's pretty. But she looks, she has my big round face and brown Mm -hmm. hair. And there's Francine who looks exactly like Candace. So, yeah, like the baby kind of acts like me. And then that one's just like Candace. Like that's what dealing with five-year-old Candace would be like, (laughs) which is cool. Except for if you like project that, like if you just follow the trajectory, it means we have to deal with a 13-year-old Candace eventually. Mm -hmm. And I know what a 25-year-old Candace is (laughs) because I knew her. (laughs) And it's fucking terrifying. Right. Yeah, it's terrifying. We're doing everything we can right now to be good parents has this round of parenting been easier than the first time with your son owen i don't you know it's a that's a big question and i think that i mean i explored a lot but it's like the biggest difference is like i was dirt poor mm-hmm. like we were on welfare when i had owen and now i like you know now i got that youtube money so it's like to raise with and to raise without mm-hmm. and if i had a choice I would pick and always pick to raise with security, health insurance. Like she gets to go to whatever school we think she'd do best in. Like you have, we have all of these wild luxuries because we have money. Um, but like that aside, just from a purely intellectual perspective, I there was something about raising a kid without that felt um, easier because, and just to qualify that word before anybody jumps on me, we didn't have options when we, when it was Owen and me because we were so poor. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, we're in this together, kid. Here we go. And now with our kid, like, Franny's going to a private school next year. And, like, Candace and I wrestled. Like, should we or should we not send her to a private school? Like, because we can afford it. Shouldn't we give her the best education possible? Like, as mm-hmm. a parent, that's a natural line to follow. But then at the same time, it's like, I think the only reason why I was able to succeed in life is because I had such a, like a, such a struggle. I get put hair on my chest as a kid to have to fight my way through public school and fight my way through like the things that I wanted. And now we can just give them to our kids. Mm-hmm. So like, it's definitely like more fun now doing it again. Cause like we get to take the kids to Disney world if they want to go and like, 
you know, like we have a babysitter if Candace and I want to work or do a podcast at two in the afternoon on a Monday or whatever the fuck day <laughs> today is. Um, but, but I felt like I had less concerns with Owen. Like how many really rich kids, not that we're really rich, but I mean like how many kids do you know that were raised in privilege, like truly privileged kids, silver spoon shit that grew up to be like healthy, smart, well-rounded adults. Mm, good point. Right. <laughs> you know what not I mean? Not a lot. No. There, there's something poetic. It's like, um, all you want to do is succeed in life so you can protect your kids from the shit you had to deal with when you were a kid. But it's the shit you dealt with when you were a kid that made you who you are. So by protecting your kids from that, are you, aren't you doing them a disservice? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's the caterpillar butterfly analogy where like if you cut, it, you know, if the caterpillar's in the cocoon and it's struggling to get out, you would think, oh, I'll just cut it and then it will be able to get out faster. But the struggle of the caterpillar is what gives it the strength to turn into a butterfly that's able to fly. And if you cut it too soon, the butterfly won't be able to fly because it didn't grow enough in the cocoon. I've never heard that metaphor before, but was... I'm going to start using that and I'll probably even say it in a video and I'm not going to credit you. That's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, in fact, I'm going to pretend that I just like came up with that. <laughs> like next time I'm in a situation where I have to use that metaphor, I'm going to pause first and like look up as if I'm thinking of what's a good metaphor. And then I just came up with the butterfly. <laughs> and the I look. already feel like you're full of metaphors, though. You are like the most well-spoken, wise person ever. And it's so refreshing when you do come around to like hang out with David and the crew. Because it's like, oh, finally, finally somebody, adult, a voice of reason is speaking. It's not having like Jonah hogging up the room <laughs> talking all the time. It's so refreshing when Casey comes around. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a fun time. That's a fun time. Um, plus, a butterfly is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you like that analogy. I really am so impressed with that. Yeah. So impressed with that. But no, we're happy here. The I think the biggest shift with like the California shift was for me to get away from like the workaholic workaholism, work workaholicness of the entirety of New York City. Right. Like I made that movie about it right when we left there, but like I mean Mike, you lived there forever. You know, like Sam, your brother, my close friend, like is that's who he is, but like if you're in that city, you're busting your ass all day, every day. And if you're not, you don't have an identity. Like, mm -hmm. And then you just disappear. And like, then you move out of the city and you go back to Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> but like, that's it. Like, yeah. you, like you, as you, long as you live there, there's two uh, kinds of people. Those who are busting their ass and then somebody who's moving back to Cleveland in two weeks that didn't work out. It's like one degree above survival. That's right. Is, is success. That's that, right. Like, that, that's what it is to be in New York. And then for someone like you to have hit the level of success that you hit in New York, which is such a tough place to even survive is like are, do you find yourself like antsy now or have you put put in your work and now you feel like oh i can finally relax and like it sounds like it, you're going surfing but well okay so i had this great therapist candace put me in therapy when we moved out here which was wonderful but my therapist won't meet in person because of covid19 which i respect and is appropriate but like i can't talk on a phone mm -hmm. like there's no fucking way like yeah. i'll talk on the phone and then it's like Twitter is so much more interesting than whatever conversation you're having. Mm -hmm. The only reason why I'm able to focus on this conversation is you guys are directly in front of me. <laughs> like if you were in the other room, I'd have my computer open and I'd just be answering every question with yeah. Yeah. Um, but I like, I, I asked my therapist, like my main reason for being there was it was like, all I want to do is fuck off. Like I don't open my email inbox anymore. I don't like try to schedule a conference call and I just like, I'll change my number. Like I don't want to do anything right now. I don't want to commit to anyone right now. Like I felt bad because I told you guys I'd do this podcast a week ago and you're like texting me this morning being like, are we still on for today? <laughs> and the <laughs> reason why I, the reason why I didn't text you back is because I was like, I'm not sure what time I'm going to be at the beach till. So I'll just text them when I leave the beach. Like that's yeah. the insanity of the degree of indulgence. So like indulging in life. So like I said to my therapist, I was like, you know, like when I even think of scheduling an appointment, I get this anxiety. Like when I think yeah. about taking on a job or even making a fun YouTube, I get this anxiety, like work. Like, no, I'm just trying to have a good time. Like, what do I do? So I said to her, I was like, how do I cope with that? Like, how do I get some part of that back where I can really be focused on work? And her response was like, why would you want to do that? Let's just talk about making you feel okay about doing nothing. Mm -hmm. and I was like, yes, I fucking love you. And, but she's right. Like the whole point of moving out here was to get away from all of that. And the fact that it happens to coincide with me arriving at a place in life where for the first time ever, I've got financial stability for the first time ever. I have like two babies that need a lot of attention and a wife. 
And for the first time ever, I'm in like a house, not in New York City. Like for the first time ever, I'm like on a silver platter here, like enjoy your life for a minute. And instead, all I'm doing is like paying a therapist a lot of money per hour to talk me back into working harder. Mm-hmm. Like she's completely right. Like I should feel comfortable like taking a year or two to really focus on family and focus on myself. But it's fucking hard. And like most of the time I just feel like a shell of a man, mm-hmm. you know? So you feel a guilt about yeah, your lack of commitment. Right. Tremendous. No, I feel like the person who made me, the person who got me to where I am right now is completely dead or more appropriate. Like it's completely dormant. And it's like, I feel like I have an obligation to that. Not to sound like a schizophrenic, but like to that part of who I am, like an obligation to just run at things and make a million movies and just do me and start another company. But I don't, I'm not interested in any of that. And that's okay. I don't want, thank you, therapist. Yeah. I need someone to tell me that's okay. But I wrestle, like Mike's question was like, am I okay? And I'm wrestling with that. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, it took every me like about two years of therapy to get to that point just to be like, it's okay. To fucking chill. Yeah. You, you literally earned it in every possible way. Like you have a legacy already that any human being would and should be proud of to take whatever time you need, whether it's a year or a decade. I mean, you've gotten this far trusting your instincts and trusting yourself. So like, just, I mean, my humble perspective is continue steering into the discomfort and you'll be guided in the right direction. You're right. You're right. But it still makes like the day to day hard. So, but like, so is that, is does surfing help you? Like, it sounds like that sort of, but yeah, like even like if Candace was up here right now, she'd say like, I'm doing with surfing what I do with work. Like I don't surf for fun. I mean, I, it's the most fun thing in the whole world, but like <laughs> for me, it's a full-time job right now because I don't know how to do it and I will not stop until I'm very good at it. Are you surfing by yourself or do you have like surfing I'll go buddies? by myself. I'll go with my buddies. I'll go in the rain. Like when it was quarantine time and the beaches were closed, we would go at five in the four thirty in the morning. When it was pitch black out. You paddle out there like before the sun comes up. The sun starts to crest, mm-hmm. just enough light. You surf. This is in February. You surf in the cold, in the storm, big waves when you're like gnarly. And then like during quarantine proper, like I think they shut down the beaches in mid-March. We would go so early because the lifeguards show up at 7 a.m. And we didn't want lifeguards to have to tell us to leave the beach. So we'd be out of the water before they got there at like 7 or 7.30 every morning. So and you like, treat surfing like you tr- almost treat it oh, like vlogging. Yeah. Like you have to do it every, every single day. day. I've got to get better at it. Like all I do is study it. I watch surf videos online trying to understand it. Are you getting good ideas like out there while you're surfing? No. Like the same I'm way only, like you I'm think I'm so lot. fucking present. Right. But you think a lot when you're running or yeah, sometimes it's totally like different. I, yeah, it's a whole different mind space to be in during those two different activities, I guess. If, yeah, like, Matt, we've talked a lot about running and like yeah. the magic of running is it's a mindless sport. Right. Unless you're like, doing sprint racing or something, but it's a mindless activity. That's why I'd run for like, you know, 20 hours a week is because it's just that mindlessness is really inspirational. You come up with good ideas. Mm-hmm. You figure out how to stop fighting with your girlfriend. You figure out like how to articulate. So like you, you find yourself when you run sporting or surfing rather is 100% like you have to be present uh-huh. and it's, patient and patient. You have to be staring at the surf, the, the lineup, the other surfers who's near me, who's going to try to take this wave from me. Do I have priority right now? Is this a wave or is this just like a little bit of a swell coming in? Yeah. Do I go left? Do I go right? Is it one more paddle, one less paddle? Like, am I too far down on the board? Am I too far up on the board? Like, are my feet together? Are my knees Do touching? I look cool while I'm doing it? <laughs> right. Do like, I look I, cool I get, I it? like surfing, but my problem is when I go out surfing, I just can't sit on my board and look cool. Right. Like, I, I can I can surf, like but I can't get big. my balance of straddling the board and just... You probably have, like, the front sticking up. Yeah. And... Oh, yeah. I, that's when I look like the biggest fool is when I'm out there surfing. Hope you're enjoying this episode. We're just going to take a quick break to give a word from our sponsors. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now back to the episode. I think that a lot of people and maybe yourself considered is like, there's the vlogging Casey Neistat, there's the post-vlogging Casey Neistat, and then there's like current Casey Neistat. Do you think of yourself in like eras like that? Or Yeah, yeah, for sure. I um, recently, like, last week, a friend of mine passed away in New York. It was really sad. And um, I was talking to Candace about it and like trying to figure out whether or not I should go to like this wake that I ended up going to. Um. And she was like, well, I've never even heard you mention him. And I had to explain to her like what role this friend of mine played in my life. And it was like, he was in my life from 2007 to the 2012 era, mm-hmm. which was like the last era ever before social media, before real camera phones, like where you could really go out and socialize and party without any real accountability for it, um, which only just ended. But that era was like a, a uncompartmentalized like part of my life that is so specific and that part of me is completely gone and then I think about like the version of me before that which was like when I just moved to New York and like didn't have two nickels to rub together and couldn't figure out what to do in that city and it was like the real survival aspect of like that was just surviving and I think like before that like living in Connecticut which was like from age 15 to like age 19 which was like running away from home like living with like strangers and like just hustling, trying to like being a dishwasher, selling weed for a living. Like, so yeah, like life is um, very much so in chapters. And I think for whatever reason, maybe it's something that I self perpetuate, but like my life, those chapters are really, really like compartmentalized. They're really boxed off. And this new version of Casey is one that I'm particularly uneasy with. I'm just like a family guy like hangs out with his kids all day and goes to the beach. <laughs> but weren't you uneasy in all of those no, times? No. Oh, you were pretty like steady in those past yeah, Oh yeah, like manic, 100 hour a week working, no sleeping, running 20 miles a day, Casey. That's my comfort zone. And also Casey dropping out of school comfort zone. Yeah, I, I mean I wasn't I wasn't self-aware then, so I don't okay. I don't know. But I know that like the time in life where I felt like I was as most settled into who I am was when I was daily vlogging. Because it was, there was a singular purpose, yeah, which was to make that fucking video every day, and that there's an that comes at an expense. Like the cost of that was like a terrible father, terrible husband. Like Candace and I were on the verge of divorce when I was daily vlogging. Always, I, I was watching it from the outside, and I was thinking to myself, I don't know how you do that. Yeah, and, no, it's because yeah. it. The only thing that mattered was the vlog. It was the only thing that mattered. So like. Matt and Mike, like, Casey, you want to hang out? And it's like, ah. Uh, and in my head, I'm thinking, like, can I suck any content out of these two fuckers? <laughs> and if the, answer is, <laughs> if the answer is no, I'd be like, ah, I can't, guys. I can't. I got to pick up the baby from something, something, something today. Yeah. And as friends, he'd be like, okay, cool. We'll call us when you're free out. And I'd be like, I will. Yeah, probably not going to hang out with them until I'm done vlogging. Yeah. yeah. And then there were other friends, like your brother. Yeah. Sam, who I, like, love. I love Sam. But Sam's always good on camera. So I would always know. I could be like, Sam, what are you doing right now? I'd be like, well, I'm kind of in the busy, busy. <laughs> I was just getting setting up my new Apple speaker. And I'd be like, cool, 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 cool. I'm coming over. And I'd just like bust in on him. And I know he'd be great in the vlog. Or like Candace brought up the other day where she's like two out of five days a week around 3, 34 o'clock, I'd call her. And I'd be like, I don't have a third act. I need you. And I'd just show up at her office. Or I'd make her meet me somewhere. Mm-hmm. So the third act for the vlog would have right. her in it, which would lighten the whole thing up, like new environment. My only focus, and that's a really destructive thing when like you have employees that you should be looking after, you have family you should be looking after, you have a wife you should be looking at. Like all of that played a very distant second fiddle to getting that video out every single day. Do you think if YouTube was around when you were younger, you would have been making videos? Yeah. 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 So when it hit, you were like, oh, thank God I can make videos without needing to go to the Hollywood mechanism or... Well... No, because if you remember when like YouTube launched early days, it was just like a place for putting yeah, like basketball. I like for me, the first several years of YouTube is where I'd watch like Michael Jordan highlight clips over yeah, and over and over right. all day, every day. 
it was just this garbage dump for years where you could just put and post anything. It was like, you know, it's just a miscellaneous bin of video clips until like, remember Lonely Girl 15? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that was like a really interesting series. It was fascinating, but it was the first thing that was put on the internet to just be on the internet. Yeah. So, no, I wasn't relieved because by the time YouTube came up, like that was when I was making my HBO show. And like in that era, 15 years ago, it was like only about sort of the mainstream, like success meant being on TV or being in movies, nothing mm-hmm. else. Right. Like to say you made YouTube videos didn't even make sense then. Um, I do remember vividly though, like around 2010-ish, recognizing that like I, I've got a very specific formula for a viral film that I promise will go viral every time I make it. And I made it like 10 different times. It was just like capture the zeitgeist. Like what are people talking about right now? Make a movie about it. It's under four minutes long. Make it punchy and put good music under it. And like it's all you had to do to go viral. Because no one had ever seen anything like that. Yeah. Nobody was doing that. Now every you, every video made does that. Yes, yes. But so no one was doing that. that genre of like. I don't know that I invented it, but I think that I was part of a a small group that recognized it really early. Like iPod's Dirty Secret was like, that was three years or four years before YouTube even came out. Like we had to put that on a splash page. We had to pay for the bandwidth for that video. Whoa. That did five million views. Like before there was YouTube. Like we paid for each one of those, the bandwidth for each one of those views. Um, but that just shows that like there's this appetite for a kind of video that only gets disseminated online that people just want to watch online. Um, so I think that like there was a natural organic, you know, merger for the kind of videos that I like to make and then distributing it online. But I would say that it took me a while to figure that out. Did you want to be a filmmaker when you were younger? That's like all that I was your childhood That's dream? all I wanted to be. Do you still want to make like film film like no. a whole movie? No. No? No. Why not? I mean, have you ever been on a big movie set? Yes, I yeah, have. I have. <laughs> um, no, but it's, I, it's for a me, circus. It's, it's, I mean, I, I admire it. And I love the process and I love being on sets, but um, I don't know that I, I'm good at expressing my own creativity unless I have like absolute control and hegemony like not just control but like mm-hmm. every aspect of it has to be under my thumb otherwise i'm just not good at it right you know, what like I, films did you like when you were younger i mean i like when i was a when i was really young like i think my desire to be a filmmaker came mostly from like john hughes 1980s like oh yeah teen movies which were like look when like the breakfast club and pretty in pink when those came out like i was a baby or wasn't mm-hmm. born yet or whatever but like when I saw those as like a teenager, like a movie can make you feel this way. Mm-hmm. Like, oh shit, I want to make that movie. Mm-hmm. And plus my mom, God bless her, she's a faulted woman, but like she was so good about videotaping us and letting us fuck with the video camera. Yeah, same with my dad. Yeah. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it really like gets your juices flowing. Is like, this is a cool tool that I can do interesting things with. Franny, my five-year-old, who was just here, like she can read. She can't write yet, but she can read. She can fully read now, which is amazing. Um, but she's just learning to read. She can't write. She's five. She's in, she starts kindergarten this fall. She can navigate a phone, and not just navigate it, but like she can <laughs> change the settings, turn it into dark mode. I mean, how about like you can have a full text exchange with her while she will go back and forth from. She can text. Yep. But she can't write like handwriting. She texts with emojis. She finds the emojis that conveys what she wants to convey, and she texts with that. And if she can't find the emojis, she <laughs> switches the keyboard over to a GIF keyboard, and will find the GIF that can do it because she can type out the words. So that she's she, like search hung, hungry GIF, and then sends it over to you. Stuff like just, that. You're like, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, like fully. It's usually doing. not hungry. It's more like JoJo Siwa and like <laughs> shit like that. But like she, like she can do that. And then my one year old, like she can say phone, and like you can give her Candace's phone. They're not allowed to touch mine, and she can unlock it and like scroll through until she finds the app that she likes and press on it. Like these things that we all had to learn as adults or teenagers or whatever, it's like embedded in them literally before they can speak. So you try to imagine like what these kids are going to be like in 20 years. Oh yeah. They just go up. Kids like will just go up to TV screens now and think it's a touch screen and And just start start swiping swiping around. That's what the babies do when they look at a laptop Wow. or like what she tries to do with the TV. But it's just like, what are the social implications of that? Who is the most famous person in your phone? God, I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I don't know. How do you quantify fame? Who's the most famous person that... Powerful, call- I guess. Just, I mean, it's the way that you would define it. The it's most famous you- person that calls me relentlessly is um, David Blaine. <laughs> 
Oh, oh really? Yeah, yeah. He calls you? All the time. What's For he, what? Twice today. What? <laughs> I want to show you a new trick. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm working on this one. Just so no, he's, he's a friend. He's a dear friend. He's a wonderful human being. I absolutely love the guy. I'm also enamored by his craft. Yeah. Like what he does, not just his magic, but his endurance stuff blows my mind. And he's a friend. Like I knew him in New York. We like play basketball together. He's just, he's a wonderful, wonderful person that I feel like privileged to know. And right now he's kind of, he's, I don't know if you saw, he put out a great YouTube video a week ago. That's sort of like his bio video. It's really yeah. good. Woody Harrelson narrated it. It's, but it's wow. a YouTube video. It's really good. So he's just working on videos right now. Um, and when you're as smart and as talented as he is, but you've never really done this before, you lean on your friends who know this. So he knows how well I know YouTube. So right now, as he's trying to figure out how to sort of like make the best content around what he does for YouTube, he calls me a lot for advice. So like this morning he called me so he could FaceTime me his new video. Like driving down the street trying to watch FaceTime, watch his video, <laughs> and then give him feedback. Which, by the way, it's really good. It's Ooh. really, really good. I think he has the potential of just being like the most amazing magic YouTuber. Because I think the only thing more interesting than his magic tricks are like him in real life. He's like a fascinating person. Have you asked him who's going to win the election? That's a scary question to ask somebody like well, him because you know he can see the future. Out as Donald Trump, like in the very beginning, did he before in it all? Oh yeah, when I yeah, twenty sixteen, I was at a party, and this is when everyone was like, "No, Donald Trump? Are you kidding me?" Like he had just started running, and he looked me dead in the eye. He's like, "Donald Trump will be the president." I was like, "Okay." I don't know. I've never asked him. That's a good question, though. Do it because whatever he says, I. Yeah, I I felt that way about Donald Trump as well. Yeah, in a really big way in two thousand sixteen, like. I was I was doing everything I could to keep him from getting elected. I'm not a fan, um, but anybody who would like challenge me like would laugh at the fact that I was taking it seriously. Like I'd I'd offer to bet them, like I'll let, I'll bet any amount, any odds that he wins. He's going to win. And then um, the day of the election, we at uh, my tech company at the time, I was still running it. We built this app that was called Exit Poll. And it was just a way for you to post a selfie video of who you voted for and why. Okay. And we made this very public, but it wasn't to quantify how many votes each person got. Like the TV and news can do that better than we can. It was just to show you why people voted. Okay. So we stacked the deck. So it was, it was Clinton, Trump, Clinton, Trump, just so you could see them back, the juxtaposition back and forth. And it was a fascinating app. Only worked for one day. <laughs> but everybody, I opened it that morning to make sure it was run. The app was working. And every Clinton voter was just like me. It's like, um, yeah, I, I voted for Clinton, and uh, I I do hope she wins because she could. I do think she could. I think she's probably the. You know, I couldn't vote for Trump. Like that's what every. And then you would push the button, and it would play a Trump supporter who would give the most full-throated, like personal endorsement of why they're voting for him. And when I saw that passion that he was able to elicit in his in his supporters, and then the lack of that passion that Hillary Clinton could, I was like. That's like that's the most powerful thing right there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that still translates to 2020. I think that this year is a big, scary toss up. Like no one has any idea. I think Biden campaign today announced that they're they're saying now they're not going to do any um, campaign rallies up until the election. Like that's crazy. Whoa. It's probably the right thing to do. Like I don't understand campaigning or infectious diseases enough to give my <laughs> official opinion on that. But it seems res responsible. Yeah. yeah. But even so, like how the how does this how's this going to work? Would you ever run for office? No. No? Have you been asked? Uh, yeah, a lot. Really? I mean, like asked by my friends, like you're asking me right now, yes. Like asked by like a somebody who wanted to sponsor me, no. Like the Democratic Party has never approached you and said, Mr. Neistat, we'd love to. They do approach me a lot, but not for stuff like that. Like I think one of the things that was so frustrating for me about like, so I came out and made a video about how much I disliked Trump before the election. Um and I couldn't dislike him without stating that I was endorsing Hillary Clinton, which I which I was. But again, like I'm I'm not a huge supporter of hers any more than I'm a big supporter of Joe Biden. I just think it's our only other option right now. Yeah. But I put that video out, and then like some some one of Alex Jones's henchmen like put a video out. Literally one of his henchmen. It was like an Infowars video out about how I supported Hillary because she was paying me to do so. And it was like. Frustrating because it's like it's such a stupid thing, and it's also frustrating because I was approached by her campaign to make campaign videos for her, which I would have been compensated for. 
So I literally said no to oh. taking money and instead got so much shit because there was like these rumors that I took money, um, which is so perplexing to me. Like how whenever there's no common sense involved, yet people are buying it hand over fist, it blows my mind. And that was one of those situations. Is that, is that kid, the kids bop version of Party Like a Rockstar? We only do kids bop in this house. Only do kids bop? We are heavy kids bop fans. Kids Bop, it, it takes a very close second seat to JoJo Siwa, but only to JoJo Siwa. Besides JoJo, Kids Bop is our number one here. In the I actually household. really do like JoJo Siwa. I'm a huge JoJo Siwa What's fan. your favorite song? <sighs> probably, <laughs> probably Kid in a Candy Store. Probably. Kid in a Candy Store. Yeah, I'm high a, Top I'm Shoes a, is High dope. Top Shoes is, is a bop. That shit's fire. Make me do what I do. I, I'm a High, high top, top Shoes. shoes. I understand why Casey Every is familiar with JoJo girl. Siwa, but no, I mean, Matt, why do you know the words? I mean, Matt and I go to all her shows. Because <laughs> JoJo Siwa fascinates me, and I wanted to know what all the hype was about. So I dove into it one day and listened to the music. And Do you I know vibe. the history? Do you know the story? She's from Dance Moms, right? Yeah, so like I know this because Franny watches it, but like we watch the old Dance Mom episodes, and she's this baby. And I say baby. She's younger than Franny when Franny just came up here. She's a baby. She's all done up. Mm-hmm. She's never. She was never the best dancer in the dance group. She was never the best singer in the group, and she got shit on by the like mean Abby, moms. Abby Lee. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, Matt. And she was tough, and she wouldn't take their shit, and she mm-hmm. fought back, and like she didn't run away and cry. She fought, and here's this little girl who's not the best dancer, who's not the best singer. She's not a supermodel, but she's like, where are all those other girls on Dance Moms? Those ones who were better than her. Have you ever heard their names? I know my daughter's uh, not watching 800 of their videos a day. Maddie Ziegler's incredible, though. Was she one of the... Yeah, Maddie Ziegler stars? was the best one. And she went off, and now she's in every Sia music video. My my story was so much better. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's a G. But JoJo, what my point was, that, like, JoJo took that, which yeah. was not a success, and like t- built this career... And like I read somewhere that she sold forty million dollars worth of her bows at Target or something like that. Even if that's ten percent true, that's insane. It's like Dr. Dre level. It's mm-hmm. Dr. Dre level, and she's a, she's seventeen years old. And on top of that, there's been like a couple times where she's gotten shit. Like she got in a fight with with Bieber once. I think he made fun of her, and she was like fifteen. She clapped back. She's incredibly uh, uh, smart and is willing Savvy. to make fun at herself That's too. Right. Self-effacing like, in all the right ways. I feel like two years ago she was kind of getting bashed on Instagram and now TikTok loves her because she's able to laugh at herself. Yeah, she's and, self-aware and when you're like a parent of a daughter who's like trying to figure out what's okay to consume and what's not, like she doesn't swear. She's not a bad kid. Mm-hmm. Like I think that most videos are kind of junk food. Like they're not making my daughter any smarter, <laughs> but compared to a lot of the kids content out there, there's like, I don't worry when Francine's watching Jojo. Jojo is the only TikTok account that Fr- Franny's allowed to flip through. Just Jojo? Just Jojo. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Have you ever been in a fight, Casey? Fist fight? Yeah. Have you ever, yeah, you ever seen my punched hands? or been punched? Look at these hands. Those Ooh. Are, those are teeth. Teeth marks. Teeth From stains. From who? <laughs> I mean, when I was younger, I was a big, big fighter. Really? Yeah. Like, I was just, I think it's because, like, what am I? I'm 39 years old. I grew up in, like, the 80s and 90s when it was, like, angry kids. And you just, where I was from, you just fight. Wow. Yeah, you fight a lot. Were you fighting out of, like, defense or were you picking fights? Both. Both. Yeah. It's just, like, a thing to do in the Northeast. Like, you just go and if pick a fight. Beef, if there's beef, you fight. It's like goodwill hunting. They just, like, yeah. go to the. Yeah. I mean, no joke. Like, that's what it was. I, or West Side Story. <laughs> <laughs> When you're a saint, you're yeah. a saint all the way from, um, it was less West Side Story and more like Goodwill Hunting, but we weren't big. Like they were adults there. Like when I, a lot of the fights that I got in were like, you know, like freshman high school kind of stuff, like fighting in the back parking lot. Um, I did get in a lot of fights when I grew up, like before I left Connecticut. But once I got to New York, I don't, I think I got in two fights in New York and I hope I never, have, I hope I never get in a fight again for the rest of my life. Yeah. I hope so too. I've never been in a fight, Mike. Have you? Yeah. You have. Yeah. What in the, in the city? Uh, not in the city. I, I remember the first time I got punched in the face. I was like 11 <laughs> years old, and we were skateboarding at like the local like school. There was like a, a four yeah. set gap, and it was me, Sam, Darone, and Johnny. And I was like 11, so Johnny was like five, and there was like this group of like what m- couldn't have been more than 13, 14 year olds, but I thought they were the older kids. 
we tried to hang out with them. They've tried to skate with them, but it's like me and my toddler brothers couldn't skate. And they were just like, get out of here, get out of here. And I was like, all right, guys, we're not gonna be able to skate with them. Let's just like start to head back. And one of the kids just like started to pick on Daron and Daron's the tallest one now, but he was really small back then. And one of the kids just started like rubbing his butt on Daron and like pushing Daron around. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do here. There's five of them. There's one like me and my younger brothers. And so I was like, Daron, let's just go. And Daron was like really upset. And I, st- I just grabbed Daron. And then I, I told him to like go walk away. And I waited until this kid, the, the one that was bullying Daron, tried to gap the five set. And in the middle of his gap, I just went, ah, and I scared him. Because <laughs> that was the only way I could like hurt him. And he just, he just ate shit got up looked didn't even he literally got up walked directly toward me and just wailed me right in the face (gasps) and all my three brothers were like oh my god we have to go we have to go and they were like and i just took it didn't say a word and i looked at him and i and i must have given him the death stare or something because i didn't move i stood there took the hit looked him in the eyes he knew this wasn't going to go anywhere any further and i just walked home and my mom was like yeah you know it's part of what happens and then ever since then i vowed to never get hit in the face again so i've been like swung at but um i like we, we used to do taekwondo so like bob and we i think that might have been when when we started taking taekwondo lessons actually so like that was the only time i've been punched in the face and i think it's a good thing to get punched in the face it, it like really helps you define who you are very quickly I, yeah like i i got the majority of my fighting up when i was a little kid but like getting into a fight as an adult too changes like it's a really different monster like I think I was in two really serious fist fights in New York City, um, like unavoidable. Like as as not like a child, like not a playground adult. fight. Yeah, yeah, like mid to late twenties. Like get arrested for type of fight. Yeah, totally, totally. Oh like cops cops came and that's how the fight ended. The one that I'm thinking of, which is like at a bar, like really mean guys, like m- causing trouble, like making fun of the girls that I was with and my friend who I was with, who's like, um, it was like a, he, he's like a friend of mine who's literally had a heart replacement, like a heart transfer surgery yeah and so he like needed to say he can't fight and the yeah. girls can't fight and these guys like waited for us outside and it got really nasty and like um yeah there was like like grown men fist fighting in the street and that's the last fight i've been in that was probably i don't know like 2005 or 2006 or something yeah that's pretty that's pretty <laughs> yeah, recent that's pretty really <laughs> yeah like in my 20s like i was an adult i was as an adult and like I've been in situations like that since then where like it was, it was de escalated and like physicality didn't have to happen. But I'll tell you what, like I tried this with my son. It did not work. But like when you're in a situation sometimes where like you have to protect yourself physically, Mm -hmm. you either know what to do or you don't. And if you don't, you have no idea what to do in those situations. You are helpless. You are helpless. And there's like a little bit of like the, Casey the, the like I'm, I'm Jewish that like I'm so scared of like the Nazis coming back and like grabbing us and like putting us stuffing us in a train I'm looking at you as I'm talking to I you. know I'm, I'm <laughs> um, locked in like I've just watched Schindler's List one too many times like what would I do in that situation and the answer is always like fight back yeah, that's what we think we want to think of that. course of yeah. course but like you get that in your head and it's like what would I actually do and I just remember like learning how to punch and learning how to fight and like I've, I've trained we're fighting now for like a dozen years and my goal is to like never have to use any of those skills that i've acquired for the rest of my life um but when the shit goes out like i know what to do like i know what to do in a situation when it gets physical i know how to throw a punch i know how to avoid a punch i know how to eat a punch like you know you box for long enough you fight for long enough you know exactly what to do and i feel like that's a really valuable resource like i've always told candace i wish she'd learn what to do in a situation where she had to get physical like krav maga I did Krav Maga for like six years, maybe eight oh, years. Is that the self-defense like guy? Yeah, it's or, uh, the Israeli military's version of hand-to-hand combat. I've seen videos of... It's insane. That's what it is. It's Krav like, Maga. Yeah, I can answer like, any question you might have about it. What? I'm just saying I could answer any question you might have about it. I'm I very... saw a video about defending yourself from somebody with a, a knife. knife. Yeah. And, yeah. Or if somebody was like holding someone like hostage with a knife, how to get the knife out of their hands. Because you don't want to just pull on their arm because that will cause them to cut the person. Yeah, man. Weapon it defense. was like more of like a, I don't know, you pull their arm in a, or you hit their arm. Oh, yeah. It, it's like, it, it takes out. place on a bus, right? Yes. I saw this video. Yeah. yeah. Krav Maga is great. The reason why I liked it, it was because I did Shoran Ru before that and a number of like um, like Eastern martial arts. Krav Maga is martial arts without any romance. 
like one of the, the first thing you learn your first day in, like the guy, people would show up before they got their white belts and we teach them groin strikes, like how to kick people in the balls. Like that's <laughs> what you do. It's the first thing you do. It's a very practical form it's of martial arts. It's only practical, yeah. Like the thesis behind it is that, like what do you do if you're trapped behind enemy lines and you don't have a weapon? So it's literally like, like head stomping is one of the things they teach you. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's really nasty. You should, we, for your YouTube stuff, we should do a Krav Maga class. Oh, that would be so on. funny. I actually feel like I do need it and doing a YouTube video about it would be the only thing that would <laughs> make you <laughs> get into a Krav Maga To put studio. myself in that type of situation because like, I, I, Fight or flight, I'm flying. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> By the way, see you later. Flight is always the right thing to do. Yeah, you run, man. Yeah. Avoid fights. Avoid any physical interaction at all. You just don't know. Like, and I restrain, like a friend though too. Like, yeah. Usually, I'm pulling a friend back from getting into something. I got in a fight one time actually in Dallas on the Dart train because my friend was mouthing off to Wait, this what's older. What's the Dart cup. train? It's the Dallas Rapid Transit. Dallas area rapid transit. That's dart. their acronym. Oh, yeah. dart. Dart. Huh. Dart. Okay. What I, I sound like? Dark. I dart. Dark. No, it's dart. You the should dart see what's going through my head when I'm picturing the dark. <laughs> a dark. Train. I, I got on a fight in a dark train. <laughs> the lights went off and it was just a so whole dramatic uh, scramble. But yeah, my buddy was mouthing off to this older couple and they were like, "Oh yeah, you just got your parents." They're like, "I don't care what your parents do. What do you do?" And he goes, "What'd you say about my parents?" And I was pulling him back. And then my friend put me in a chokehold, and I couldn't like. Get him off of me. Yeah, it's and scary. And then I bit him in the cheek. Because it was only because I was like right by his, his face. You know, you and, and I was like trying to bang up his sides to get him off me. And I just bit him in the cheek. You should have kissed him. I bet <laughs> it would have stopped yeah, him in the kissing. same way. And I also heard like just like, taking off all of your clothes makes anybody run yeah, away from you. Like a gentle going... kiss on the neck. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to de-escalate. Do you still train? Like Krav Maga or like really, do no. any... I mean, still trained, but no, not for not for anything, not any fighting disciplines. I mean, I, I was, I want to get back into boxing. There's a good gym near here, but um, like COVID, yeah, any yeah. of that physical stuff scares the shit out of me. You know, they opened the gold gym at the end of the street. They only, only let certain, they allowed in there at certain times. There's a certain amount of people they let in, but even so, can you think of a more like, oh yeah, that has to just be shared a shared surface environment than a gym. Ugh. Yeah, I won't. I won't go. No, I only work out at Scott's place, and that was been the best thing since Corona. It's just having a place to go. You're like the fourth person who said that exact thing to me at Scott's gym. <laughs> yeah, yeah, join Scott's gym. Not at Scott's gym. <laughs> Ilya said that to me. Oh yeah, everyone's there. They have a, they like, have a yeah, sauna like, now. They built an outdoor sauna. It's so nice. How did Scott get so jacked? He looks he, like he a was pro a wrestler. bodybuilder. He was a wrestler when he was in high school, so he already has that foundation of a perfect body because he's been working on it since he was a kid. I've slowly been trying to get. And Matt just got a rowing machine in his house. I did. That's I have a, a, great, a water rower. That's like, a great device. House of Cards. <laughs> the what? One that, that's exactly what I was picturing when you said that. That's yes. the one that he got. It has that like water yeah, tank. Yeah, I know and the one. Swoosh, it makes swoosh. that nice sound when you do it. That's a great exercise, by the way. Yeah, I prefer it more than running. Running lately, though. Are you not I'm doing getting, running anymore? Uh, no, not as much as I was. That's a bummer. Running. I got LASIK though too, and I don't know. I just didn't want to like. Hit the Make your eyeballs too bounce too much? Yeah. How long did you get LASIK? Uh, about two, a week and a half two ago, weeks, two yeah. weeks. The best decision I've ever made. But I like the rowing machine a lot. It's I get to watch TV and do it at the same time. It's nice. Do you, so we heard Fran, I heard Francine's feet coming up the stairs, and I heard Candace from a distance like, don't you go up there. And now Francine's standing downstairs outside of this building, screaming up into the window, I hear you up there. <laughs> I think do, she, she do gets Do you read jealous. to your kids before they go to bed? Yeah, well, yes, but not for any reads. So we have these like learning books. Oh. Like 45 pages. And she reads them to us. Like pictures for certain words? No, it's or... words. Oh, okay. It's words. And she's really good at it. And it's, um, we try to figure out what she's memorizing and what she's actually reading and then mix it up to try to make sure she's working and not uh -huh. just rain manning her way through the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's been quite the transition because we always read to the little ones, but yeah. like seeing her read back is like a, it's a weird thing to see. What's your favorite kid's book to read? <sighs> um, we're really, really deeply into the Llama Llama series right now. Ooh, I haven't, is this new? Yeah, it's like the Berenstain Bears of this generation. The Llama 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 series. Llama. It's a yeah. family of llamas? Yeah, there's one that's like Llama Llama, be nice to mama or something like that. <laughs> They're really, it's a good book. You could almost like read it to a rap beat probably and it would. You could definitely read it. You could reverse engineer this like the <laughs> dopest Kanye song ever written. <laughs> but yeah. Are you, are you reading any books right now? You have a, 
handful of books. Well, those are journals up there. Well, I'm in, I'm embarrassed to admit that I am um, I'm reading John Bolton's book right now. Not a fan of him, and the book's not great either. Is this fiction or nonfiction? Who's John, John Bolton? Bolton? Was a national was Trump's national security advisor who like he got fired in a kind of a scandalous way, and then like was supposed to testify at the impeachment or could have testified at the impeachment hearing, but didn't. But had all these secrets, and instead he wrote this book, and it's like the tell-all book, and it's scathing. It's scathing, but he just seems like a bit of a sensationalist, and. Okay. Yeah, he's like a big Republican establishment. Huge, figure. he's a huge hawk. Like yeah. he wants war. He's a big war hawk. Um, You've probably seen his photo. He's got like the white mustache. He just looks like your classic politician. Yeah, like. yeah. So this book, like a lot of fanfare. So the reason why I read it is it just keeps coming up in conversation. So it's like I need to know. I just want to be able to participate in those conversations. So I'm reading that book. Not a fan of it. Don't recommend it. Don't give him your money. Just figure out you can steal it online. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I'm also reading. Um, like my my favorite book that I'm reading right now, it's called Storm of Steel. And it's Ernst Younger was this, uh, he was a foot soldier, like a enlisted soldier, a scripted soldier in World War One. This book's 100 years old. Whoa. But he was a writer and that was his craft. That was his gift. That was his art. But he was a frontline soldier, like a wildly brave soldier in World War One. Mm-hmm. And you were not allowed to keep a journal then, but he kept a journal. Like, which you could get shot for. If you kept a journal, they would shoot you. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kept a journal. So basically, it's like, this is a war 100 years ago. And instead of being written by historians, it's firsthand accounts by a guy who was there written while he was there. So it's like, stuff like that's really hard to sort of put yourself in. Like, I'm a big fan of ancient history. And like, I don't know that I've read a single, single piece of literature or watched a single movie or anything like that that makes me understand what it would actually be like to live in ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. But like Ernst Younger's writings makes it feel like what it would like to be you right now fighting in World War One. Oh, I gotta read this. It's it's dope. It's dope. Even this title, Storm of Steel, like it makes sense when you read the book. Like it's a hailstorm you're in, but it's steel instead of hail. Great book. Ernst Younger. Yeah, yeah. Very famous book. You I, read a lot? Yeah. Yeah. Almost, almost only uh, nonfiction, though. Yeah, I read a lot of fiction. Do you read a lot yeah. of fiction? Uh, Fiction's fun. Oh yeah, it's great. I've read, I've read like three books in the past few weeks. They're I just really find fun. that like good writers do such. There's like so much interestingness in nonfiction, and if I can educate myself at the same time, not to say that you're not educating yourself when you're reading. No, I agree. I wish I was more prone to reading nonfiction. I just love a good story. Have you read Ready Player One? Yes. Okay, so like that was the uh, last. I went to the set for that <laughs> like if, movie. If, but you read the book. Uh, yes, I did. Like Ernest Klein. Yeah, if we're talking about like um, nonfiction, junk food, like that is fucking, that movie, that book was so good. The movie was good. That book was amazing. Like I remember, oh, yeah. that's one of those books that, um, that like I would hide so I'd get an extra chapter in. And like I get so amped up. And one of those books that like when I finished the last page, I was like, so upset mm-hmm. and you're like googling books like that and you're trying to read his next book which is not that good and like <laughs> um it's just like that's one of those yeah. like the harry potter series or like um any dan brown books as shitty and garbage as they are like the da vinci code was fucking great oh yes like two page chapters yeah uh-huh. and it's just like yeah really brilliant but no i i prefer nonfiction. yeah i got really into for a long time um spy novels Okay. And, but, but nonfiction. Yeah. Like there's one book. It's like, I don't know what it's called. It's like the complete history of the CIA, which is like 800 pages. Like it's like reading a textbook mm-hmm. and it's the most like, it shows you what the CIA is. Like when we picture the CIA right now, you think of all these geniuses that like know that, and you realize it's just a bunch of dudes like us trying to figure things out <laughs> Yeah, and like how much they fucked up. And this book was so damaging when it came out like 10 or 12 years ago that the CIA released an official rebuttal about why it's inaccurate. Not untrue. They don't they don't dispute a single thing that's said in there, I don't think. Um, but mostly why it's like an unfair depiction. So you know what you're reading's true, but like the book doesn't dwell on the good things the CIA does. It just dwells on how much they fucked up. When did this come out? Early two thousands. Great book. Oh, I gotta check it out. Okay, so you start okay. reading this is like my you start reading that book and okay. you understand these huge screw ups that happened in the CIA in the, the like right post World War Two height of the height of like the cold war and there's like there was this one spy this one british spy who was um 
born in England, went to school at Oxford, enlisted in World War II, fought for the British in World War II as a um, as a uh, intelligence guy. After that, joined MI5, was like a top spy for the British, was so good at, as a spy for the British that he went for the British uh, intelligence service to be embedded with the U.S. intelligence service. So he had an office like at CIA headquarters, even though he was British. And his job was to work directly with the American intelligence service to make sure the British were learning everything that the Americans knew. The guy was a Russian spy. <gasps> yeah. Like his, his dad was this revolutionary who like around the turn of the century like fought in Iran and Iraq um, on behalf. He was supposed to be there for Br- the British government, but he realized how bad imperialism was. So he was like a secret, fought against the British and he raised his son in like this vacuum where no one knew. So his son like identified. That guy's still alive, by the way. Yeah, he lives in Moscow right now. He's like 95 years old. Um, okay, but you read that. And like that was sort of like a few pages in this book about the history of this guy. So then you look that guy up and you got to read his whole story. And it's unbelievable. And then you learn at the end of his story, like just as his tenure is ending, just as he gets caught and has to ship to Moscow. Um, at the end of his story, there's an American counterpart who is almost like the idea identical story. I think he's British though, not American. Russian guy, born and raised in Russia, worked for the Russians like World War II, Russian secret spy, like, rose all the way through the ranks for working for like a Russian spy agency, KGB, all that. And then like his defection to the like, to Great Britain, to like helping MI5 and being a British double agent the whole time. And like he was the only Russian, a- he was the only Russian double agent to ever be exfiltrated out of Moscow. So like he was in Moscow and they were going to kill him because they caught him. And instead there was this like plan to get him out that involved like walking down the street with a chocolate bar and somebody notices the chocolate bar and that means we have to activate the plan to get him out. And he has to like sleep in a trunk for three days. All this shit's true. But this is why like I read these books because like this is all true. And if you like (laughs) think of the context of the world we live in that like this is all really happening, it definitely changes your perspective in a way that like as much fun as... Harry Potter is like it doesn't <laughs> it, I mean no I mean it like it doesn't get me there because like I know that like there's no train station behind what is it come on Harry Potter enthusiasts uh, like, platform nine platform nine yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um but like this spy shit really did exist and it's the same with like ancient history fascinates me like the Sumerians they like invented writing and the written language and uh-huh. how that came to be like that's so fucking compelling and interesting for me Anything having to do with like uh, warfare all the way back fascinates me. I've always wanted to dive into that and learn, relearn. There's everything. that one book you recommended on your vlog, the World War II book. The John Keegan's the yeah, Second World War. Yeah, I bought that book because of that video that did you ever, made. Did you it's, read it? Yeah. It's, it's hard, right? I had to take it out of my room though because it has Hitler on the cover and I just it was like on the top of my stack of books. You can I, get, there's a cover, there's like 50 covers of that book, oh, but there's okay. a cover that just has a, like a graphic of the... Um, Congressional Medal of Honor. That's also a fine. Okay, yeah. And there's one cover that has like a drawing of war. I didn't realize that Hitler was on the cover and it was just in my room for like months. (laughs) And then I I don't even know where it is anymore because I moved to California. But like, it's, yeah, it's great. I was going to give you names of those books. Like I'm looking up my... Oh, yeah. uh, No, I'm going to actually have to re-listen to this. Do um, you you keep like a list of books you've read, books you want to read? Do you take notes when you're reading books? um, I take a lot of notes when I read books. Yeah. But I in also, the books or in a separate? On, typically in the books. I, I try to keep the books that I've read so I can reread them. Then I almost never reread them. But I do go back and look at the notes. Um, okay, so here's some good ones. Ever. Oh, Permanent Record by Edward Snowden I read oh, when yeah. it came out last summer. That book will fuck you up. <laughs> like you didn't even want to know about that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was really good. Sapiens, which is like a pretty controversial. That was an Israeli. Uh, yeah, Harari. Writer. Yeah, Yeah, that was... That was like a really hip book to read, but yeah. I, I really liked it. It's in like every airport now. Yeah, it's like yeah. One of those I like, really uh-huh. enjoyed that book. Okay, the CIA book is called Legacy of Ashes. Great book. And then The Spy and the Traitor is about the British spy who was a double agent for the Russians. And then A Spy Among Friends is the book that was about um, the Russian spy who was actually a British double agent, if I said that right. I wonder if that's one of my children screaming right now. Can you recognize their screams? 
Yeah, that's her. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Candace talking to the, the kid, yeah. right? So we have a one-year-old and a five-year-old, both girls. Our neighbor has a one-year-old and a five-year-old, both girls. Oh, my oh, God. Wow. So you have a... no idea like how many mornings I'll come sprinting down the stairs at 6 a.m. being like, it's fine, it's fine, I'm here. And like everyone's sound asleep. Oh, no. my, neighbor's, <laughs> my neighbor's kids next door are screaming. <laughs> are, you, are you friendly with the neighbors here? Are you like a community neighborhood that's guy? Like, yeah, like we started this podcast out by talking about how rough the neighborhood this is and it is but like we have the greatest neighbors like my neighbors to the left are like my best friends i go surfing with them all the time they have a little baby who's eight months old our neighbors to the right have a one-year-old and a five-year-old they're lovely neighbors over there just had a baby like three weeks ago it's like such good people one of your neighbors introduced himself to us when we were walking oh up yeah because he, he thought French we act? were moving to the neighborhood he's just like i just moved in you guys live here we're like no <laughs> i should have brought him over to- <laughs> there's really nice people here yeah. and that's part of the reason why it's, it's gonna be hard to leave here mm-hmm Actually, like there are good are people. Are you planning to leave? I mean, eventually. Back to New York or? No, no. But like in Los Angeles, it, it's if either in Venice it has to either get better or we have to move. It's untenable here. Like Candace and I have the conversation every day. Like, is it irresponsible for us to have kids in this neighborhood? Whoa. Dude, I mean, what Franny interrupted when I was telling you is like there's a double homicide. Two people dead a block and a half from here last Tuesday night. Yeah. That's a lot to deal with. Mm-hmm. At our Whole Foods. And like one of the guys crawled into CVS after he was shot, like trying to get help. That's like right there. Did you know Venice was like this? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I even told one of my friends who was thinking about moving out here. I, I was had like, no Venice idea. is great. It's gritty and a little dicey. <laughs> it sounds like living in like Bed Stuy in like the 80s. In like, the 80s that's... Yeah, yeah, that's what it feels like. And I don't want to over it. Like, yeah. It's also like filled up with like hipsters with like yeah. girls have hats on the guys have like <laughs> white tank tops tucked into their like blue jeans like it's that you have the Abbott Kinney side of yes it. yeah and like and look like great restaurants like the coolest stores like the beach is amazing like there are some of the best restaurants that we've experienced on the west side are all right here like within walking distance of our house best coffee shops like it's just it's just cool here like there's a culture here that we haven't found anywhere else in Los Angeles but there's a price for that culture. Mm-hmm. And that price is gunfire. And I just don't know how much of that we can take before it's like, it, it's not a safe thing for our kids. I think you should become a superhero and at <laughs> night become this vigilante and fight crime. You already crime know how to Venice. fight crime physically. So. <laughs> no, I don't ever want to fight crime. I think it's <laughs> your only option we at just this hide. point. We just hide. <laughs> Give up surfing and become the no, Batman. No, of, I'm not interested yeah. in it. Surfing the Venice, so the Venice vigilante. The yeah. Venice vigilante. <laughs> That's a good title for this podcast. <laughs> so I broke my car this morning. It's at the car shop, but I didn't give them the key. So they're calling me being like, do you have the key? Gotcha. I'll do it on speakerphone. Just in case this is a usable item. Hey, hey it's Casey. Casey, where's my keys? I'll be... Fuck, I'll be right there. I'm going to jump on my bike now. I'll be there in probably 10 minutes. Is that okay? Don't jump. Get, don't jump on a bike. You hurt yourself. Just get on it and get here as quickly as possible. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I'll see you in a second. Right. What a character. That's my auto mechanic. See, that's Venice guys. Like that guy, <laughs> That's my auto mechanic. So block me. He's a G. I thought you were pranking us at first. No, like, look. You just like look said, at, like, hey, look my, call. Look at my phone. That's great. Say you're a mechanic. Uh, that I love. I love that. <laughs> like, and that's what Venice is. It's so great. It's so great. Like, it's so great that you're frustrated with the crime because they're like, how dare you spoil this amazing neighborhood? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like homeless people, if you don't have a place to live, like, let, let's help you. We, there's amazing shelters and resources here. But just please, like, stop shitting in the street. <laughs> like, I'm trying to push my kid in a stroller. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's such a special place. It's yeah. like, don't poison this special place. But apparently, like, that is futile because it's been like this forever and... I don't know that we can be the arbiters of change, even as much as I'd like to. Uh, but yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you for so having much. Here in having home. Guys. So and, much fun. And yeah, you if you guys love this conversation with Casey, feel free to check him out anywhere and everywhere. Do you want to plug anything? I I buy my new book. It's about world history, conflicts, and I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Casey. Yeah, thanks for having me.